We never did finish last week's lesson because we had a lot of discussion. And if you thought what we covered last week was controversial, wait till we get through with the next two or three lessons. <laughs> I, may, I may lose the Baptists and the Methodists all together. <laughs> so, all I've got to say is that what I'm presenting you, I have gone through all of the unfulfilled prophecy that's in the Old Testament and the New Testament and have called out... You know, kind of the major segments. There's, there's so much we could never cover it here in class. But I've definitely called out for you the big major prophecies that we need to talk about. And then once you pull all those pieces out and lay them out, it's kind of like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. You, you, you read each passage and you look for common characteristics. You look for where it's talking about the same event. You look for differentiating events or comments in the scripture and you begin to kind of sort the scriptures out into piles okay this scripture is about this event this scripture is about that event and occasionally you'll run into a scripture that like in two sentences covers the whole thing you know just like we saw in Daniel from time to time you kind of put those in another pile (laughs) but but what those give you is the overview the skeleton and then you take each of your piles of scripture and you begin plugging them in where they belong. Okay. And pretty soon when you're done, you've got all the pieces put together into a picture that makes a whole lot of sense. Now, the problem is every person that does that puts the pieces together just a little bit differently. And that is part of the difference in our various denominations is that our denominations have grown from one picture or another that somebody or groups of people have put together. And we have been taught within our denominations from that picture. And so you may have one denomination that just is absolutely certain all the pieces go together this way. And you may have another group of people that is equally certain all the pieces go together that way. All right. And are unable to communicate and get over those differences. I'm going to present you the Gail Evers version of the picture. <laughs> it is not, as far as I know, any particular denominational version. Um, I don't have a particular de- denominational background. So I'm coming at it with a completely you know, open mind about how those pieces go together. I'm going to show you a way that I think these pieces fit together and make sense without leaving pieces out. Some some of those people who put those pictures together leave certain pieces out because they don't fit, okay, in their picture. So so what I have tried to do is be intellectually honest. I have tried to make sure that I have put every piece in there, that I haven't left out some piece just because it didn't match the picture. And I have tried also to give you all the pieces. So I ask you humbly that once you hear my picture, if you don't like my picture, don't just give up on me. Just take the pieces home and rearrange them. Okay? Yourself. All right? You'll have it all. And for that reason, as we go through the next two or three lessons, the handouts that you have are going to look less like the scripture references. You know, in the scripture references, I'll give you boxes and just a real quick little blurb at the top, kind of giving you the 
the subject of what that box is. In, in my own notes, what I do is I have those same boxes, but I've got a lot more verbiage in there that I, reminds me what points I want to make and what I want to say to you about those scripture references. The handouts that you're going to get starting this week will have, look a lot more like my notes, okay? It's going to have a, virtually everything I'm going to tell you is going to be written down on your handout. And that's because I want you to be able to take these handouts, go back home, cut them apart, and put the pieces back together yourself, okay? So, so this is, this is the mo- one of the most important sets of lessons that we're going to cover in Revelation because we're not going to stay in the letters to the churches for the next three weeks. We're going to skip to the end of Revelation. Because in order for you to understand or to decide where the rapture goes, you have to understand the entire general outline of events and you have to know some very important information about some of the specific events that happen. So this set of lessons is going to give you a very good overview of the end times and the supporting prophecy. To start off, let's anchor ourselves, though, in the letter to the church um, in Philadelphia. We were at Revelation 3, verses 8 and 9. Christ is talking to Philadelphia. I know your deeds, your works. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Remember Romans 2.28? I think it's probably in your scripture references. He is not a Jew who is one on the outside, but he is a Jew who who has circumcised of the heart. It's not about the circumcision of the body and following all the rules. It's about your heart and having a circumcised heart for the Lord. So here again, we, had, we have heard Christ use, Christ use this phrase synagogue of Satan in some of his um, teachings while he was on earth. And here it is used again in, in the letter to the um, Philadelphians. And this is an important concept. As we go through, we're going to study the fate of Israel today, I hope, if we get that far. And one of the things we need to remember is God sees Israel as all of the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, regardless of where they are, whether, where they are and regardless of whether they are wicked or good. However, spiritually, physically, that's how he sees them. Spiritually, he considers the ones Jews who are circumcised of heart. Okay? Just because they happen to be descended doesn't necessarily make them a Jew. That's what this verse is saying. Okay? And then we get to a classic statement and the one that has caused us to launch off into the end of Revelation. And that is Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That verse implies 
that the church, at least the church of Philadelphia, and certainly if we believe these letters are to all of the church, that the church will not go through the great tribulation. That is what people think when they read that verse. And that's the hypothesis we're getting ready to test, okay, and see what we think. There is a teaching that Christ did in Matthew, Matthew 24, 15 through 31, where he talks about the great tribulation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not go back and get his cloak. Woe to you who are pregnant or nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in winter or, or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days have been cut short. And at that time, if anybody says to you, behold, there's Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ's And false prophets will arise and will do great signs and wonders to mislead, if possible, the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, he's out in the wilderness, don't go. Behold, if they say to you, he's here in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning shows itself from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will will gather. I have no clue what that means. But that little phrase, wherever the corpses are, the vultures will gather, is really handy for identifying parallel passages in the other Gospels. Because each of the writers of the Gospels kind of wrote this teaching. They recorded this teaching of Jesus in a slightly different way. So it's helpful when you're putting the pieces together to identify that phrase and say, oh, they were, they were you know, recording that same teaching. The glorious return. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, look at the order of events. The first thing that happens is the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about is set up in the holy place. Second thing that immediately follows that is the great tribulation. Then the sun, moon, and stars go dark. Then Jesus comes. Unmistakably, no doubt about it, every soul on earth will know that he got here. They will all see him. And the fifth thing that happens is he gathers his elect from all over the world and from all over heaven. Um, I did not give you the... uh, gospel in which this sentence 
explains that he's not, when he's talking about the four, gathering from the end of the sky, if you look at some of the other gospel interpretations, it says he gathers everybody, all of his elect, from the earth and from heaven. Okay, at that time. The Great Tribulation is talked about all over Scripture. It's always referred to as a special time that is far, far worse than any disaster we have ever known and any disaster that has ever, will ever be known after it. Now, let's go back to Revelation 3.10. If the church is going to miss the tribulation... And if Christ's second coming is after the tribulation, how can that happen? The only way that could happen is if there's a third coming, right? It's, think about it, okay? Think about what just got said. The only way that the church could physically miss there's two, I mean the only other way is that they are protected somehow during the tribulation right that they're here but they're protected right that is a possibility okay but if we believe that the church is raptured meaning translated taken up to heaven with Christ and misses the tribulation there has to be an event where Christ comes in between the first coming and the second coming now if that's the case, how come it's called the second coming, right? If that's the case, how do people explain that it's not the third coming, okay? When he comes and everybody sees him. And the way it is explained is it's a flyby. <laughs> okay? <laughs> the way it's explained is he doesn't really set foot on the earth, so it doesn't count as a coming. It's a, it's a touch and go landing. That's right. So be done touch. The, the way it's explained is Christ comes before the tribulation, does a flyby. We all raise up in the air to meet him because he can't touch down or it would be a coming. And then we go back to heaven. Okay. Okay. So you can see why people could interpret these pieces in two different ways. All right. On one hand, you've got him telling Philadelphia you're not going to go through the tribulation. And on the other hand, you've got the second coming after the tribulation. So that's why I'm not willing to say, you know, one camp or the other is wrong. I was talking to Bunny at the church this yesterday. I said, I've got to go home and study the end times and make sure I know what's going to happen. I said, I sure would hate to misinform anybody. She said, yeah. Can you imagine him saying to God, well, Gail said it was going to happen that way. <laughs> so I have no illusions that, that I have all the answers, okay? Um, but I'm going to give you enough information that you can see the arguments on both sides, okay? And, then, and I will tell you what I think when we get all the way to the end. Probably, you'll probably figure it out. But anyway, um, let's look at a couple of more scriptures about the rapture so you understand some of why people think it's a flyby. 1 Corinthians 15.50 Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye 
at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That's a piece of scripture that we're, that's one of our little puzzle pieces and we're going to, after we have studied the next couple of three weeks, we're going to go back and see where we think that scripture fits. Is it before or after the tribulation? Okay. The next one is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That means, you know, the ones who have died already. So that you will not grieve as the rest of, as the rest of people do who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not get ahead of those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. That's where they get the flyby. Okay. We're getting caught up to meet him in the air. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay. That's another important scripture that we're going to talk about where that peace goes. Now, the whole thing is a lot more complicated than you could ever believe. That's why it's not going to fit into this lesson today. Okay. That's why we need to do some important work. For one thing... We are going to put on our Jewish glasses. We need to come at this from the perspective, and you correct me if I'm wrong, okay? <laughs> we are fortunate to have someone with a Jewish heritage in, in our class. But, but um, we need to remember that every single body who belonged to the Lord in the Scripture all the way through the Old Testament up to and including Christ Jesus was a Jew and had been taught all of the scriptures as a Jew. Therefore, when Jesus spoke to the multitudes, when the apostles spoke to the multitudes, they spoke to them as if they were groups of Jews. And whenever they talked to them and there were Gentiles in the mix, they generally would say something and say, well, you Gentiles, blah, 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 blah. And they would say, this is how you fit into this. So we're going to go back and we're going to look at the Old Testament first to understand the same. So we understand the same thing that the audience that Jesus and the disciples were talking to would have already had in their heads. That will give us the perspective we need to really understand the message from Christ. Okay? So the first thing we need to do, and people in the Daniel class, don't go to sleep. Just, you know, correct me if, if I get it wrong. But we're going to go back and we're, gonna, we're not going to go in detail, but we're going to look at this simpler handout. It's the one that does not have all the stuff on it. Okay? It's, it's the simpler handout. The title is... Timeline of 77s. When we studied Daniel, we found tons of prophecy in there that all fit together perfectly. It was as if Daniel kept getting the same message over and over and over again. 
And each time, the Lord would fill in a little bit different detail and tell him a little bit more about it. But it was the same prophecy over and over again. When we put all of those prophecies together in Daniel, we, you come up with this timeline. Now, this timeline is called the 77s because there was a very famous prophecy in Daniel that gave the general outline. It's Daniel 9.24, and let's read what it says. Seventy weeks, and weeks in this prophecy mean years, have been seven, so it's 70 sets of seven years, okay? So each day is a, each day is a year, a week is seven years, all right? Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. And then here's the things that happen. To finish transgression. Well, that hadn't finished yet, right? That's not been fulfilled. And that really specifically talks about the, the transgression of the Gentiles. That it's, you know, once you get into all the history about it, it's about the fullness, the time of the Gentiles becoming full. To make an end of sin. Has that happened yet? No. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, has that one happened yet? You could certainly argue that that one has happened in the sense that Christ has come and has established forever a right relationship between us and the Lord. Correct? So, in my opinion, that one has happened. Okay? I'm not going to argue with you if you don't think it has, but I think it has. I think Christ has, by grace, given us the relationship we should have with God. And righteousness in the Old Testament means fulfillment of a relationship, the covenants of a relationship. Okay, the next thing that has to happen is make atonement for iniquity. Has that happened? Yeah. Christ died on that cross. That's done. Okay, so you tick that one off. Then, seal up vision and prophecy. Has that happened? At the time of Daniel, had that happened? No. And it hasn't happened today. I can tell you there are prophets in the world. Today, it's still going on. Holy Spirit didn't just die. Okay? Holy Spirit still operates. All right? So we know that's going to happen. And to anoint the most holy place. When we, talked, when we looked at, um, at Daniel, we did talk about the fact that that one may have been fulfilled with Christ coming because the, holiest, the holy of holies in the temple... Remember, became obsolete at that point. The, the, temp, the curtain was ripped top to bottom because Christ entered into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. Now, there, that one, I can find fulfillment both in the spiritual act of Christ and I can find fulfillment at the end also. So, so for the time being, we'll list that one as maybe has not been completely fulfilled. It just depends on how we interpret it. We'll just pick it up and look at it later. All right, so that's what needs to happen in this 70 weeks, okay? 490 years. So you're to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And it, that is Jerusalem, will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Okay, now look at your timeline. In the Old Testament... There is lots of record of the Jews being allowed 
when they were in exile, being allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And there's several decrees from Persian kings that allow them to go back and rebuild the temple. There is only one decree. And, and when they went back to rebuild the temple, they did kind of on the side rebuild Jerusalem a little bit. But for we find record in Nehemiah that even after they had done that, it was still just a mass of rubble. It was, it was in so bad a shape that Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the, the Persian king at the time. And he was on his way to work. And he overheard a couple of guys saying, you know, I just came from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a wreck. It is a pile of rubble. Well, Nehemiah was one of the Jews in exile. Okay? And overhearing this really upset him. You know, you know, when you see somebody, they just got upset, they got tears in their eyes, their face is red. You know, this just hit him like a ton of bricks, no pun intended. And he went to work. And the king said, what's wrong, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah said, told him what he had just heard and the king says well you know what can we do about that and Nehemiah does this real quick prayer to the Lord Lord please give me the right words to say and so Nehemiah said would you please issue a decree that authorizes me to take a group back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem not the temple Jerusalem and the king said sure done deal Nehemiah went back and, and they rebuilt Jerusalem. Now, that decree in the scripture, we know which king did it. It is the only decree recorded in scripture or anywhere for that matter that a king issued a decree to rebuild Jerusalem, the city. And the date that decree was written is recorded in scripture. Now, isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> because that marks the beginning of the 70 weeks. That decree was issued in the month of Nisan, 445 B.C. The reason there's a question mark is because I don't know if it's March or April because Nisan is half March and half April. It goes from like 15th to 15th. So it's, it's, uh, you don't know whether it's March or April, but it's some ter- right there. That's pretty darn close, right? <laughs> All right, so the next thing that has, it said in that prophecy was that for seven weeks and 62 weeks, so that's 69 weeks, you do the math on that, that's 483 years total. So you can see that it says that Jerusalem will be rebuilt. This, this next little bubble on the graph, I assume that this first seven weeks was the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And what does it say happens at the end? Messiah the Prince comes. And in our Daniel class, we did the math. We looked at some of the people who had done the math. And we discovered that that would put us at a date in A.D. 32. Okay. Which is right smack dab where you would expect Christ to be marching into Jerusalem as Messiah. Okay. Palm Sunday. You know, there's a lot of scholarly discussion about how you count the years and all this, but no matter how you do it, both the beginning and the end date there, we are pretty doggone sure that about those beginning and end dates. We know that that fulfilled that part of Daniel's prophecy. Well, but didn't he say 70 weeks? What's with the 69 weeks, right? Well, then it says... After the, 60, the, the, last, the 62 weeks, which is the, the end of the 69, 
the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. We know that happened. He was crucified, right? And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war and desolations are determined. And he, that's the prince who is to come, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. That whole enchilada there at the end, all of that describes the 70th week. Okay? The Messiah is cut off. Then it's talking clearly about the end times, right? So we've got a big time gap. You've got the 69 weeks, and then you've got an indeterminate time gap that we happen to be living in right now. And then you have the events of the 70th week. The next thing you want to do is you want to look at the second timeline. Because the second timeline is an exploded version of just that 70th week. So it, we're going to take this last little bit that happens after the time, time span, the break in time. We're going to explode it out and look at what's said about the 70th week. Because that 70th week, that last set of years, seven years, is the, end, is the last seven years this world sees. Before Christ comes. I mean, the world continues, but before Christ comes. Okay? This is the last seven years before Christ comes. Second coming. I'm not talking the flyby here. I'm talking the second coming. So let's look at what happens. We're not going to read all of the, the scriptures, but in this, for your personal study, I've tried to put the scriptures that describe each of these time frames. So if you weren't in the Daniel class, you can go back and read those particular scriptures and, and understand how we got there. But what happens is the Antichrist makes a covenant with the many. Most scholars interpret the many to be the Jews, okay, Israel. I think there is equal, and we studied in in Daniel, I think there's equal weight to the fact that it could actually mean the many as in everybody, okay, including the Jews. It definitely includes the Jews. I personally think that covenant is with, like, it's a world peace type covenant, okay, So then there are, and you can see the little boxes on the bottom here. These boxes give you time frames. So you can even see in this box down here where the 70th week fits, okay, against that timeline. Well, but from the first little diamond to the second little diamond in the middle is 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Years in the Bible are counted in 30-day increments. These are what we call prophetic years. In the middle of that... The Antichrist breaks his covenant with the Jews. See, the covenant that he made with the many, in addition to whatever else it said, it allowed the Jews to begin making sacrifices again and offerings to the Lord on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we get halfway into the seven years. We get three and a half years into it, and the Antichrist changes his mind. Okay. Now, there's a whole lot of events that happen that cause him to change his mind, and those are in Daniel. But he cha- the important part is he changes his mind, and, it, and he comes in and sets up an abomination in the temple. Now, we don't know 
who or what that abomination is. We do know the Antichrist proclaims himself God. It's possible that he himself comes in and sits down in the holy place in the temple. We have no clue what that might be. But it will be unmistakable. Because that's what Jesus says. Remember when Daniel said the abomination happens? When you see that, run. Run for your life if you're in Jerusalem. Because that abomination results directly in desolation. Okay, And it starts immediately, the Great Tribulation. It's like we talk about being struck by lightning, you know, when we do something bad or say something blasphemous. This is when it happens. Okay? It happens. And a whole lot of the stuff we study in Revelation is about this little time period in the second half of the seven years. This last three and a half years before Christ comes is the Great Tribulation. Then Christ comes... And from Daniel, we know that there are some time gaps between when Christ actually comes and when his earthly kingdom is organized, set up, and the people that are going to be in it are, you know, identified. Because there is a period of time of judgment and resurrection during this, what appears to be 75 days, if you put the pieces of Daniel together. We know that the holy place is restored. So remember, the holy place is totally desolated from that abomination that sat in it. So it needs to be re-restored, okay, during that time frame. We also know that resurrections happen, and we know that judgment happens, and the Lord separates people between wicked and righteous. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens. Okay. So now that we have the overview, let's go back and pull out your handout from today, which is the uh, fate of Israel. Now, we're going to go back and pick out the important pieces. The whole Old Testament is about Israel. So I'm not going to read the whole Old Testament to you. I am going to pick out the important pieces and we're going to start with Deuteronomy 4. Because in Deuteronomy 4, Moses is about to die. The Israelites are getting ready to cross into the promised land without him. Because Moses is being punished for some sin of pride. Before he dies, he talks to Israel and he says, here are the things I want you to remember. Here's what you should have learned in the 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. He declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So watch yourselves carefully. So that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image, an idol for yourselves. 
And beware not to lift your eyes up to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven and be drawn away to worship and serve them. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession, just as you are today. All right. That, in a nutshell, is what he wanted them to remember. But then Moses prophesied. Then Moses told them what actually was going to happen. Because he wanted to tell them what to do when they failed utterly. When you have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, In the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. Pretty amazing. And that is exactly what happened. And now we're in the latter days. This great tribulation, we know for a fact... Israel will go through. Okay, there's no question about the fact that, you know, they're definitely not getting raptured before it happens. Okay, the question is, what about the Christians? Okay, but the Jews, for sure, are going through the Great Tribulation. And it's going to be particularly hard on them because the Lord is, in, in part of the purpose of that tribulation, is to chastise them, to punish them, to drive them to their knees... So they will finally give up the hard-headed pride and turn to him. And here's what it says in Isaiah 3. This is definitely not, just like it wasn't all of Deuteronomy, this is not all of Isaiah 3. But it's worth reading the whole thing on your own. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. The whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. This is, this is coming on the heels of Isaiah 2, which is talking about the day of the Lord, great tribulation. So this is beginning to describe what happens to Judah and Jerusalem during that time. There will be utter famine and utter drought. No water, no food. Now, that may be because of natural occurrences. It may be because they're surrounded by armies. Okay? You know, it doesn't say in this particular passage. The mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, on and on and on, all the men are going to be removed. Okay, that's all one sentence. He's removing the food, the water, and the men. I will make mere lads their princes, and capricious children will rule over them. 
and the people will be oppressed, each one by another and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the honorable. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel in his glorious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them and they display their sin like Sodom. They don't even try to conceal it. Woe to them for they have brought evil upon themselves. Say to the righteous, it will go well with them for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Hmm. Stop. Think about that. I would take that verse and say, you know what? We know that the Jews are going through the great tribulation here. We're talking about it. But look what it says here. The righteous, it will go well with them. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly with him. For for what he deserves will be done to him. Okay? To me, that lends some, some credence to the theory that when God is talking when Christ is talking to the church in Philadelphia that as righteous people they are going to somehow be spared the impact of the great tribulation okay that sounds like kind of the same thing as what's being said here right I'm not saying that's how how it is I'm just pointing that piece out to you now it will come about That instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction in Israel. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning of sackcloth. Branding instead of beauty. Your men will fall by the sword and your mighty ones in battle. The Great Tribulation is part of the day of the Lord there is a day of the Lord that happens at the end of the great tribulation when Christ comes but also in scripture the day of the Lord is used to refer to this whole period of distress and tribulation because it is initiated like I told you you can think of the when the abomination sits down in the temple lightning from God strikes that's kind of like opening salvo of the day of the Lord okay and that continues till Christ comes there is a great day of the Lord that is special at the end, but when we say day of the Lord, generally you need to be kind of thinking of, of the whole period where all these things are beginning to happen at the hand of God to punish both the Gentile and the Jew. Look at Jeremiah 37, because even 30, verse 7, even though the, Israel is going to be punished as part of the great tribulation, They will not be destroyed. Scripture is so clear, and we just read that one. God will not, Moses said, God will not destroy you. He will not forsake you. You will suffer distress. And here's what Jeremiah says. Alas, for the day is great. This is the day of the Lord. There is none like it. It is the time of Jacob's distress. But he will be saved from it. As in saved from out of it. Okay. He will, he will, be, he will not be destroyed by it. It shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck. That would be the yoke of the Gentiles that's getting broken off the neck of the Jews. Okay. I will tear off their bonds and strangers will no longer make them their slaves. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them. Now, David is long dead. Okay. We assume that the David referred to here is Christ who is sitting on the throne of David. Okay. 
Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, and do not be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob will return and be at quiet and at ease. And we're going to look at what that means about the, re- that's the regathering of Israel back to Jerusalem, to the land of Israel. And at that time, no one will make him afraid. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely. But I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you unpunished. Because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous, I have done these things to you. But I will restore your health and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, saying it is Zion, no one cares for her. Notice here that the Lord is doing this because of his own holiness. The Lord is not saving Israel because they did anything right at all. The Lord is saving Israel in part because he called them his chosen people. It's like your child. We can relate to this. Your child bears your name. Your child goes out and, and bears your name and murders somebody. Your child goes out and is a terrorist. Your child goes out and sins in any way and has your name. They are dragging your name through the mud, right? We, re- we recognize. This is what God is saying here. Israel, you are dragging my name through the mud. And, and because you are doing that, the Gentiles think I am a God who has no power. They say, we don't want to worship their God. Look at what happened to them. And God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to save you. I'm going to drag you up out of the mud in part so that all the other nations know I am the real God. Okay. So then it goes on to say, thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwelling places. And the city, Jerusalem, will be rebuilt on its ruin. And the palace will stand in its rightful place. Their leader shall be one of them. And their ruler shall come forth from their midst. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold, the tempest of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a sweeping tempest. It will burst on the head of the wicked. There again, it's directed at the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and until he has accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand this. Okay? It's not talking about something that happened thousands of years ago. It's talking about the latter days. Now, way important theme in scripture related to the Jews is their regathering to Jerusalem, to the land of Israel. We read a little bit about it. You see a couple of different terms in scripture. Mount Zion or Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, land of Israel, mountains of Israel, all of that is, is, is related. Jerusalem and Mount Zion are virtually synonymous terms. They are where God ends up living. Okay? But there is also a land of Israel surrounding that. Look at Isaiah 66.10. Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed. 
You will be carried on the hip and fondled on the, on the knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Isaiah 66:18. For the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. They shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign for them and will send survivors from them to the nations, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory. And they will declare my glory among the nations. So this is saying that once the Lord establishes Jerusalem and he, his glory, he exists in Jerusalem and his glory rests on Jerusalem, people from the Gentile nations will see that and will go back home and say, wait till you see what I saw. I saw the glory of the Lord in Jerusalem. Then they will bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord. On horses, in in chariots, in litters, on mules, on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. This is a picture of the regathering of the Jews to Jerusalem. They are going to come by every conveyance possible. They're going to come... By car, by plane, by boat, by train, by camel, by mule, by litter, by ambulance. You know, if they can't travel, they are going to be carried to Jerusalem. And after the regathering, Israel will be judged. Because the Lord has not forgotten their sin. He's gathering the wicked and the righteous of Israel together in Jerusalem. And then he's going to judge them. Ezekiel twenty thirty three. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you. I will make you pass under the rod. This is like a shepherd's rod. So the picture is of sheep passing under the rod. The shepherd would hold his rod out as his sheep came into the pen to count them. That's how he would count. It's like a clicker, you know. And so this is the Lord. He's, he's causing them to pass under the rod. And I will bring you in to the bond of the covenant. And I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn. But they will not enter the land of Israel. That way you will know I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel. And he's talking to them in their present day now. Go serve everyone his idols. But later you will surely listen to me and my holy name you will profane no longer with your gifts and with your idols. For on my holy mountain, on the high mountain of Israel, declares the Lord, there the whole house of Israel, all of them, will serve me in the land. There I will accept them and there I will seek your contributions and the choicest of your gifts with all your holy things. He's finally going to get that tithe that he never gets. As a soothing aroma, I will accept you, 
when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered. And I will prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations. And you will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I swore to give your forefathers. There you will remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil things that you have done. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways or according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. The Lord throughout scripture warns Israel that the day of the Lord that period will be a day of punishment and judgment for them we're almost done got about five more minutes Amos chapter 5 verse 14 seek good and not evil that you may live and thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph if you seek him alas you who are longing for the day of the Lord for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you It will be darkness, not light. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Instead, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos 9, verse 9. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve. And yet not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. There is, by the way, in Obadiah, I've given you a reference in Obadiah chapter 1, where... Uh, The Lord says, by the way, Gentiles, don't uh, get full of yourselves because I love Israel and I will utterly destroy the Gentile nations who persecute her and who laugh at her. After the wicked have been purged from Israel, then the Lord has his righteous remnant. That remnant will govern the nations of the Gentiles. A complete switch. The slave becomes master. The master becomes slave. The first is last. The last is first. Amos 9.11 In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. I will plant them on their land, and they will not again be uprooted from the land which I gave them. One of the little references a couple of verses ago was about the Lord taking priests and Levites from among the Jews that he gathers back to Israel. In Jeremiah 3.14, it says, once they're gathered back, We know he he takes priests. We know he takes Levites. But he also establishes shepherds. He calls them shepherds. Pastors. The word for shepherd is the word pastor in many languages, including Spanish. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord. For I am a master to you, and I will take you one from a city, two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. 
there will never again, and I'm just paraphrasing here, be a need for the Ark of the Covenant because at that time Israel will understand that Christ is the Lord and he has fulfilled the law. The, the verse that we were, this passage we were reading from Jeremiah 3 continues in verse 15. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It will be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land they will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and will, they, they won't even remember it. They won't miss it. They will never make another one again. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. Nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. He's talking about the Jews again. In those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel and they will come together from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. And there are just tons and tons and tons of scriptures. You cannot read very far in the Old Testament without running across a reference to the regathering of the Jews. This is a, a big deal. At that time then, a lot of people don't know that Israel will receive the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 39:27. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I will be sanctified, made holy through them in the sight of the many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gather them again to their own land, and I, I will leave none of them out in those other nations any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured my spirit on the house of Israel." And look at Joel 2.25. Then I will make up for you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. This is, and I have a little deal in there about the army of God that actually comes in one of the other handouts we're going to talk about. But that is a reference to... The, both the great tribulation and also the army that, that comes against Israel at the end of it. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God. There is no other and my people will never be put to shame. Verse 28. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's pretty awesome. Now, what the difference is, is that this time, Israel sees and hears. You know how many verses in the, Old, in the New Testament where Christ says, you know, you have eyes but you don't see and ears but you don't hear? Now they have the Holy Spirit and they really see and they really hear and all of a sudden they understand the difference between a real prophet and a false prophet. And the false prophets among them become ashamed. And look at Zechariah 13. This is the last, um, last one we're going to read. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. In other words, there will be a healing from sin and impurity at that time. It will come about in that day that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land 
They will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and unclean spirit from the land. And if anyone still prophesies, he's talking about falsely prophesying, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, you shall not live for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. Also, it will come about in that day that the prophets, and he's talking about false prophets, will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not put on a hairy robe, like they won't dress up like John the Baptist in order to deceive. But he will say, I'm not a prophet, I'm really a tiller of the ground. I'm really a farmer. This sequence of events where false prophets are absolutely shut up. Idols are cut off. All false visions are shown to be what they are and utterly cease. Will fulfill one of those prophecies we read about at the beginning of the class. Remember in the 77s, at some point vision and prophecy have to be sealed up. This is it. This is what he's talking about. And the reason that that happens is because no more will there be, quote, prophets. Instead, the Holy Spirit will indwell every single person, speaking directly to their hearts. So old men, young men, slaves, servants, will, by definition, prophesy. You see the distinction there? Yes, question. So this sounds like that there might still be true prophecy. It's the false prophet. That's right. That's right. Vision and prophecy will be sealed up. And I believe my and what I'm trying to express is that I think that what is happening here is that there is a complete sealing up of all the false prophecy and vision that it all stops because at that t- point it's pretty much all false okay Christ talks about there will be false prophets false, false Christs all arise don't pay any attention to them okay and that they're all of their their mouths are shut up because Christ comes remember and when Christ comes all of that stops okay this, I think that is when vision and prophecy are sealed up okay but then this whole period of judgment and the regeneration of Israel happens. And God then pours out the Holy Spirit on all. It doesn't say they never, that there never is prophecy again. Okay? It says there's a ceiling, a cutoff. Okay? That's the only way I can see that these scriptures taken together make sense. But that's my putting together of the pieces. So this is one of the things to think about. And finally, we need to know that the Great Tribulation will cause two-thirds of Israel to perish. Only one-third will remain. Um, Isaiah 41.8 is one of many, many examples. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say the Lord is my God. That's where we'll stop today.